Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Hey, take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Genesis. We're continuing our journey uh, through Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at the, the whole chapter this morning. There's so much in this chapter. It's a story you're very familiar with. Hopefully, as we walk through this passage this morning, uh, God is going to show you some things maybe that you haven't seen before. But Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10 in just a moment. I'm going to read those to you, so go ahead and be finding that. If you're new to the Bible, man, it's a good day for you. Just open to page 1, go a few pages in, and you'll find yourself in Genesis 6. If you don't own a Bible, that's that's okay because in the seat before you, down in the book rack, you will find a copy of the Bible. Pick that copy of the Bible up, find Genesis 6 with us. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis chapter 6, uh, that's where we're spending our time together uh, this morning. So some of you share my story. You're, you're like me. You grew up in the church. Like this is, this is all you know. I mean, I was born into the church, came to faith in Christ at a young age. I can't think of a time in my life that I was not in the church. For a lot of you, you share that story. Some of you, your story is different, and that's great. I mean, thankfully in this room, uh, most of us have been recipients of God's grace and been changed by Jesus Christ. But, but for me, when I grew up in it was very different than what it is now. I grew up in a, a small, traditional Southern Baptist church. We didn't have all the uh, musicians we have today, the technology. All we had, and some of you remember this, all we had was like a preacher, uh, a music director is what we called it, and a piano. That was it. Uh, but, but I remember those days so well because those days were so formative in my life. In fact, I remember very clearly um, a, 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 an older couple that was in our church that I got to sit with every Sunday. And the reason why I like sitting with them is because when we had the, the hymn singing time, they would let me stand on the pew. And, you know, I need all the help I can get height-wise. And so they'd let me stand on the pew, and, and, and he would open the hymnal up, and he would let me sing from the hymnal with him. And, and I just remember those, those days and, and just how important those days were for me as a, a, a kid and learning who Jesus was. In fact, uh, you probably remember some of those old hymns that we used to sing a lot. And I wanted to play one for you because I, I bet you remember this. If you grew up in church like this, like I did, you remember this hymn probably pretty well. So just listen. don't you? Uh, thank you. I play that, and I want, I want you to see the lyrics, because, man, I, I think that, that simple hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way. Can you, can you just think for a moment in your own life? 
what your life would look like, what my life would look like if that was the theme of your life, trust and obey. Look at, look at the, the, the way we had the lyrics earlier. Do you have those lyrics still? Yeah, listen to that first line. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Now stop right there because just consider where we've been in the book of Genesis. Do you remember those first couple of chapters of Genesis? Before Adam and Eve fell into sin, what did they do? They walked with the Lord. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, keep on going. What a glory he sheds on our way. Let us do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Keep going. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I bring that song before you because if you think about the story of Noah, particularly this chapter we're looking at this morning, Genesis chapter 6, this is what Genesis chapter 6 is all about. Trust and obey. Noah, build a boat because there's going to be a flood. Noah, okay, trust and obey. How would your life be different if the theme of your life was simply trust and obey? God, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for me. So whatever you call me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Trust and obey. So we look at this ancient story, a story that you probably know well. Hey, even if you're here this morning and it's your first time ever in church, it's likely that you've heard somewhere along the way this story. What I want to show you from this story is why. This, this interesting, far-out story. I want to show you why we should trust and obey God. And I want to show you how we should trust and obey God. So look at your Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. I want to show you three ways that we should trust and obey the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor me of God's word together. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you, Father, that when we open up your word together, we have confidence, confidence that as we study together, that that your spirit is speaking to us. And and I already know what your spirit's going to say to us this morning. Your spirit's going to say, trust and obey. And those three words, trust and obey, are words that we all need to hear this morning. Words that we need to heed this morning. And so I pray that you'd help us this morning to listen carefully to your voice and help us to respond to your voice this morning in faith and obedience. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, we we said just a moment ago that before Adam and Eve made that decision to sin against God, that's what they did. They walked with God. And then the fall happened. And everything changed. Just to, to recap you, if you weren't here last week, or just to jog your memory just a bit, last week we looked at the story of Cain and Abel. 
and how Cain, out of jealousy and anger, murdered his brother. It would be safe to say that Cain did not walk with the Lord. And then we read at the end of Genesis chapter 4 about the lineage of Cain and how accomplished they were. They established a city and and built a great civilization. The first musician came from the lineage of of Cain and and iron workers and nomadic herdsmen and all these accomplishments. Yet they were godless. But then you come to the end of chapter 4, and we looked at this last week for just a moment. You read at the end of chapter 4 in in Genesis 4, uh, uh, verse 26, a son was born to Seth. Now, Seth is the son of Adam and Eve. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. And look what it says. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. As we get to chapter 5, after chapter 4, which tells us this awful story of Cain murdering his brother and these godless descendants that come from the lineage of Cain, we get to chapter 5 and we're wondering, is there hope? Because after all, Seth, he has a son and, and, and their descendants begin to call on the name of the Lord. And you come down to chapter 5 and you look at what it says in verse 21. This is really interesting. In verse 21 of chapter 5, Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. Now, you probably know something about Methuselah if you're a good Bible student. He lived longer than anybody else in the Bible, 969 years. It's a long time to live. So anyway, you read on. It says, after he fathered Methuselah, look at this, Enoch did what? He walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Sounds like he got cheated out some years, right? 365 years. But listen to what it says. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. Now, I don't know how all that happened. I wish Moses would have given us some more details. But apparently what happened is Enoch had a, a story much like the story of Elijah. He didn't taste physical death. He didn't get cheated out of anything. He, he just went on to be with God. Not neat. But notice the phrase, Moses tells us twice, Enoch walked with God, much like Adam and Eve did before they chose rebel against God. He had this intimate, now obviously Enoch was a sinner as well, but there was something unique about his relationship with God. And so now we're reading chapter 5, and and, and maybe there's some hope. Maybe humanity is going to get it right. I mean, after all, Enoch walks with God. But then we come to the end of chapter 5 and end of chapter 6, and what we find out is people don't get it right. In, in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6, there are these interesting verses. And, and to be honest with you, I, I don't quite understand everything that Moses is trying to tell us here. In fact, over the years, there have been lots of, of Bible scholars who've tried to, to figure these verses out, and, and no one seems to know exactly what Moses is talking about. And it's really strange. Look at what it says in verses 1 through 4. When mankind began to multiply on the earth... And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took and they chose as wise for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. What's going on? I have no idea. 
It's weird, right? I mean, you have these, and there's been all kinds of, of different interpretation. Who are these sons of God? And who are the Nephilim? And, and some have said, and, and many people believe this, that, that what's being talked about here are, are fallen angels. Fallen angels who've come and they have uh, mated with, with uh, uh, women here on this earth and they've produced this, these hero type people. And so some say that might be the case. Others say that, that what's going on here is, is the, the two lineages coming together. Uh, the lineage of, of Cain and the lineage of Seth kind of mingling together and, and, and then that produced these hero-like people. The reality is we don't have a clue what's going on here. Moses doesn't give us all the details. He doesn't tell us exactly who the Nephilim were or if these were fallen angels or the intermingling of Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants. I mean, there's other theories as well, but, but there is a clear point here, isn't there? What Moses is telling us is that it was a pretty hopeless time. yes. There were, were people being born and, 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 and procreation and all those kinds of things. But the, the world was corrupt. You come down and look what it says, in fact. You come down to, to verse 5. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that, listen to this, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil, not some of the time, but all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. And he was deeply grieved. Now, we don't know the time span exactly between Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 6. You have this, these, these names that are written out. And if you read it, it kind of sounds like a phone book in some ways. But you have these names that are written out. And, 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 and Bible scholars uh, assume that there's at least 1,600 years between Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 6. And what happens during those 1,600 years is a lot of sin. So much sin that by the time we get to Noah, everyone, not just some people, not just most people, but all people, everyone, their hearts were set on evil all the time. And then you have this heartbreaking statement. And God regretted that he made man. And he was deeply grieved. Now get your mind around that. I mean, it's hard enough to get your mind around what's taking place in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But, but for me, it's just as hard to get your mind around what Moses is telling us in this statement, that God regretted they made man. Now, you know this. I don't have to tell you this. That, that when we consider who God is, that we know that God is infinite. He, he is nothing like us. He is, he is perfect and almighty and powerful. He's eternal. He's infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. And, and you know this about yourself. That's not who you are. You're finite. Not only are you finite, you, you're a fallen person. And, and while most of us in this room have been saved by Jesus, it's still hard for us to wrap our minds around all who God is. And so I think what Moses is doing here is he's trying the best he can to explain the supernatural, almighty God, the infinite God, in terms that we can get our minds around. What, what Bible theologians call this is anthropomorphism, describing God in, in, in human terms to help us to get an idea of, of, of how God feels about sin. And what Moses tells us very clearly is God doesn't like sin. That he looks out and he sees in Noah's day all the corruption, all the sin, that every mind, every heart was set on evil all the time and his heart was deeply grieved. 
It was a terrible time. A terrible time in which to live because God chooses to act. Judgment. This world he creates, in a sense, this world creates when that flood comes, in that moment, he's going to uncreate it and start all over again. That's how bad it was. When you and I think about the story of Noah and the flood, we think about, you know, our baby's nursery and maybe that music box of of Noah with all the the animals on the ark, or we think about the wallpaper that we put on our our kid's room with with Noah and the ark. But, man, if you think about it, this is not a children's story. This is a horror story. I can't think of a more horrific story in the book of Genesis or in the entire Bible outside the crucifixion of Jesus than this particular event. All of humanity wiped out, judged, the wrath of God being poured out on the people he created because every heart was not set on him. Every heart was set on evil. But then you come down and you read this interesting verse. Verse 8. Noah, however found favor with the Lord. Favor. Now that's an interesting word because that Hebrew word here in Genesis chapter 6 is translated as favor. And this is a phrase that you're going to see several times in the Old Testament, how people found favor with God. In fact, when you get to the New Testament, when, when the angel comes to Mary and announces the coming birth of Jesus, you know what Luke says? That Mary found favor in the eyes of God. That word favor can also be translated, now watch this, make sure you get this, we're going to go deep for just a moment. That word favor can also be translated as what? Grace. Because think about it. Noah was a sinner too. Just like everybody else, he was a sinner. But yet, God extends grace to Noah, and Noah chooses to live by grace. Do you see? In fact, look at what it says. You see that, 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 that Noah found favor or found grace with God, the Lord, that God extends grace to Noah. And then you come down and you read what it says in verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Now that word righteous is interesting. It's the first time it's used in the Bible. This word is going to be used again when we get to Genesis chapter 12. You remember Genesis chapter 12, too, that, don't you? That's when God gives a call to Abraham to follow him, to leave his family and to follow him. And what, what Moses says in Genesis chapter 12 about Abraham, now watch this, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. So Abraham's righteousness was a result of what? His belief in God. It wasn't that Abraham earned the favor of God. It was given to him by faith. Now, I think that's the same thing we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 6, that that God extends grace to Noah. And Noah, unlike everybody else, he responds to grace. He walks in grace, and he's righteous. Now, it gets even more interesting. Look at what else it says. Blameless among his contemporaries. Look at what it says. Noah walked with God. Oh, that's good. Because you remember Adam and Eve. Before they fell, they walked with God. You remember Enoch, right? Back over in Genesis 5, twice we're told that Enoch walked with God. No one else so far have we been told in Scripture walked with God. But now there's hope. There's hope. No one else walks with God, but there's this man, Noah, who responds to the grace of God, and he walks with God. 
God is going to wipe out all of humanity. We'll get more into the story of the flood next week. It's a horrific story. But in his grace, he's going to save a family. Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. He's going to save a family and he's going to start over with Noah and his family. Because just think about it for a moment. Now, come on in close. Listen to me carefully. Remember the story. Back in Genesis chapter 3.15, God made a promise that he was going to someday send someone from the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Here we are in Genesis chapter 6, and and all of humanity, all of humanity, all of humanity has rejected God. But God is going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to spare a family, Noah and his family. He's going to start over with Noah and his family. And from Noah's line, there's going to come people like Abraham and down the line until we get to Jesus. You see that God, even in the midst of a perverse and wicked people where everyone seeks evil and not God, God is still going to be faithful to his promise. I thought that was pretty good. Right? When you think about the faithfulness of God that just blows you away. And then, God tells Noah what to do. And again, I, I wish that when Moses wrote this, uh, I mean, he, he uses an economy of words. He doesn't give us all the details we want. He doesn't answer all the questions we have. But, but you have this command, this simple command to Noah. Noah, here's what I want you to do. I'm about to send a flood. I'm going to wipe everything out. I'm going to start over, and I'm going to rescue you and your family uh, through a boat that you're going to build. You're going to build a boat. You can put animals on the boat. There's going to be uh, clean animals, unclean animals. We'll get into that later on next week. But, but th- this is what you're going to do. You're going to build it. And he does. Noah begins the process of building an ark. And again, we're, we're not given all the details, but Noah, we don't know what his background was. I mean, if he was maybe a herdsman or maybe he had some carpentry skills, I, who knows? We don't know if they, you know, maybe sought some outside help. Maybe he was able to convince someone to help him build the boat and, or if it was just Noah and his sons working on it how they went about gathering the materials, all the wood that they would need to, to build this boat. Uh, we, we don't uh, know, I mean, exactly how long it took. At the end of chapter 5, we're told that, that, Ab- that, excuse me, that Noah was 500 years old when he gave birth to his sons, and then we're told that the flood started when he was about 600 years old. So, so a lot of people speculate that this ark could have taken anywhere from 50 to 100 years to build. It's a long time. And we know, right, that, that they built this ark without the use of, of modern technology. And, and you think about, you know, if you go to Kentucky, there's actually an ark museum where, where um, uh, they've built a replica based off the biblical dimensions of the ark. Didn't take them 100 years to build, just a couple years, but think about all the things they had, like lots of people and lots of technology to construct this ark. But you've been there, not there, but you've been down to Charleston to the harbor and you've seen those big ships come in, those container ships. The ark, according to what Moses tells us here in Genesis chapter 6, it was 450 feet long. And that's about the size of one of those container ships. It was massively huge. And, 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 and the, the square footage was about 100,000 square feet, about, about the size of, of 20 full-size basketball courts. It, it, it had a, a cubic footage, storage space of a 1.5 million cubic feet. 
uh, large enough to hold about uh, 500 railroad cars. People who've done some research in this area and have tried to figure all this stuff out say that this ark could have held between 20,000 to 50,000 animals. It's a big deal. And imagine, imagine what it must have been like for Noah to do this, to build this giant boat. And I know this, right? I know this. I know that when I get to heaven someday and I'm there before God, I know that I'm going to ask him to pull out the DVR, right? I want to sit down and watch this because I want to know how this happened. Don't you? I don't want to watch all 100 years of it because that's a long time to sit in front of a TV. But I do want to see the highlight reel. I want to see how Noah did this because it's, it seems kind of unfathomable to get our minds around what he accomplished. And then the animals, I mean, this is interesting to me. Look at what it says. You come down to chapter 6 and you, and you come down to uh, 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 verse 20. Two of everything. From the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Will come to you. Can you imagine? Oh, no, let's say it was 75 years. 75 years, Noah puts the last nail in the ark. He's done. Feels good about life. Did it. Wow, look at this big boat. He turns around, two elephants are sitting there. Let's go. And two lions walk up and a couple kangaroos are hopping around. Man, I really do want to see the DVR on that one, right? I mean, just amazing. And, but, but look, look, here's the point. You come down, you have all of these, these, these details that, that Moses gives us, and there's a lot of questions that he doesn't answer for us. And I know we have questions, and I get all that, but, but here's the point. At the end of the chapter, the very last verse, verse 22, look at what it says, and Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Trust and obey. Build a boat, a big one. Animals are going to come to you. Okay. Trust and obey. The question is, why? Why did Noah do it? And how did he obey? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because of what we read earlier. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. God had extended grace to Noah. God chose Noah and his family for reasons only known to God himself. God chose Noah and his family to save them and ultimately save humanity. And, and so if you think about it, Noah's obedience, what it is, it is a response to the grace of God. He understands how gracious God has been to him. And as a result of that, he begins to do what God tells him to do. And your obedience, my obedience, our obedience before God, that's what it should be. Grace saturated, a response to what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me show you how he obeys. If you think about it, Noah obeys with passion. That's going to come up on the screen in just a moment. Noah obeys with passion, right? It would be safe to say, would it not, that God used Noah's obedience. And Noah knew that God was going to use his obedience. What I mean by that is Noah's obedience, it wasn't an exercise in futility. It wasn't in vain. What Noah knew, it was that the life of his family and ultimately the fate of the human race 
was contingent upon his obedience to the Lord. God was using the obedience of Noah to accomplish something. You see, I'm afraid that for many of us, we think obedience to God is futile, vanity. Like, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of walking with the Lord? What's the point of being good? What's the point of doing the right thing? What's the point of putting my eyes on Jesus? What's the point of it all? Noah wasn't asking that question because Noah knew that God was using his obedience. And when you understand that God is using your obedience for his glory and your good, my friend, that will make you passionate about obeying God. Because now think about this. What you know is that God uses your obedience to grow you. I mean, think about it in your own life. You, we can go around this, around this room and you can give testimony to that fact, can you not? That, that you can talk about times in your life where you made a decision to obey God even when it did not make any sense to obey God. And now here you are years later and you can tell me how that changed you. That choice to obey, to walk by faith, it grew you in your relationship with God. It grew you in your trust of him. You understand what I'm saying? That God will use your obedience to grow you. But also think about this. God will use your obedience as a testimony of his powerful work in your life. You know this because you've been around people like this. You've been around people who who have their hearts and minds set on the Lord. You've been around people who are full of the Spirit of God. You've been around people who obey God regularly, and you can see the work of God all over their lives. You think about Noah. For those 50, 75, 100 years that he worked on that ark, the testimony. Now, nobody believed his message, but the testimony of God's work in Noah's life. And so just think about how God uses your obedience as a testimony of his power and grace in your life. But also think about this. God uses your obedience as a part of his plan of redemption. You understand this, don't you? That's kind of the point of this story, that, that God is going to fulfill his promise to bring about ultimately a Messiah uh, that, that, that's going to deliver people from sin and death. And and. Noah didn't understand all that at the time, I'm sure, but Noah's a part of that story. Understand? And your story is part of the story of God's redemption as well. You're in this room this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's your story. And and you know this because we've talked about this before. God, much like he did with Noah, he's extended grace to you. He's given you grace. You've found favor in his eyes, not because of what you've done, but because of his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness and his grace towards you. God has extended grace to you so that through you, he might extend grace to someone else. And we forget that. We forget that we're part of this redemptive story and and God has left us on this earth to speak of his grace, to testify of his goodness, to show the world what it looks like to trust and obey. And the sad reality is, is that most of us will go our entire lives without really making an effort to share the grace of God with anybody. You see? Not realizing that God uses our obedience as a part of his redemptive plan. But when you begin to realize all that, when you begin to realize how God uses your obedience for his glory and for your good, man, it will make you passionate about obeying his word, trusting 
and obey. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but uh, this past week, I think it was Thursday morning, uh, the, the SpaceX, you remember, did you, any of you see that? The SpaceX ship, it launched, right? And I, I enjoy watching that. I think it's, it's fascinating to watch those, those spaceships uh, launch. And so Elon Musk, the whole SpaceX thing, is, 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 is pretty interesting. So I got up, I guess it was Thursday morning, and I got up like I always do. I got up 5 o'clock in the morning, had my time with the Lord, and I, I knew that that thing was launched about you know, 6, 10, 6, 11 in the morning. Uh, so after I had uh, read for a bit and prayed for a bit, I, I got my iPad uh, to watch it. So I got the NASA channel on and I, and I, I watched that thing launch and, and you've watched those things launch before on TV whether it was back in the day when they sent up the shuttle or now they're sending up these different rockets and it's just always a lot of fun I mean to think that man people get in a, a spaceship and they go to space I mean that's, that's like crazy like space like way out there somewhere they're they're up there there's like this international space station up there I mean that's just nuts and someday right someday you're going to go too because they're going to make it available to everybody and can't you I mean, it's going to be awesome but anyway so I'm watching that thing thinking about, man, just how advanced our civilization is, that we can put people on a rocket and fire them up. There's some of you I'd like to fire up. I'm just kidding. But anyway, so, um, so watching these things fly off to space, and so, man, it was just really cool. And so after I watched that thing fire off into space, um, I got on Facebook because, you know, I wanted to see what you guys were up to, and it's always a source of entertainment for me. And so I, I got on Facebook, and I looked, and when I looked on Facebook, I saw some pictures that my neighbors had posted. Let me show you the picture. You see what that thing is? It's a stinging spaceship. I didn't know this. I didn't know that I could walk out my door and watch this thing a spaceship. Nobody told me. Like nobody called me. You didn't call me. Nobody told me. Now I was sitting in my chair thinking, man, this is the most amazing thing ever, watching this ship launch off into space. And all I had to do was walk outside and watch the spaceship from my front yard. I completely missed it. Nobody told me. It was a perfect morning for it. It was clear. You could see it from miles away because I saw all kinds of pictures of this stinking spaceship outside and people watching it. But I didn't get to see any of it. And I tell you that, I tell you this, I absolutely missed it. And, and here's what I know in this room. There are some of you who are missing it as well. Not the spaceship, but you're missing the blessings of trusting and obeying. You're missing what it means to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God because you're not. You're not daily trusting and obeying. So obey with passion, but let me show you something else. We've got to move. Obey with passion, but also think of this. Obey with patient persistence. Oh, this is really interesting to me. Again, we don't know how long it took Noah uh, to build this ark from 50 to 100 years. A long time. But think about it. Every day he got up and he did the same thing. Got his sons together, got some wood, some hammers, some nails, or whatever they used, and they went to work every day. And, And it's really interesting because when you get to the New Testament and when Peter talks about Noah in the book of 2 Peter, in 2 Peter 2, 5, Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness. In other words, Noah was a preacher, a preacher who also had a a side job building a boat. And so, so, so every day he got up, he built, and he preached. People walked by, what you doing? I'm building a boat. Why? Because God's going to send a flood. And, And here's what happens. 
for years. No matter how long it took, whether it was 50 or 100 years, no one, no one, not one person, not a single soul, nobody believed him. You know how I know? Because Noah and his family, they were the only ones that got on the boat. Think about it. 50 years, 75 years, 100 years, every day being faithful to the Lord. And what did he get for it? Nothing. There was no fruit. He could see no fruit for years for his obedience to God. Nothing. Not only that, now again, I don't know if this is how it happened, but, but Moses doesn't give us all the details. But, but if you read Genesis chapter 6, we have no indication that during those years that Noah was building that ark, that God came back to him and spoke to him again. You understand? I mean, he may have. We just don't have any indication from the text. We don't have any indication that, you know, around year 60, God came back to Noah and said, hey, Noah, keep it up. You're doing a great job. Come on, keep on working. None. So think about it. However long it took Noah to build the ark, during that time, there was nothing. No fruit. No evidence that God was at work. You understand? Why? Why, if there was no fruit, why, if, if Noah didn't see evidence of his faith day in and day out, why did he continue? Because I, I know what's happened in some of our lives. We've been in the same place where we've tried the obedience thing. We've done the best we could do. We tried that giving thing. We, we wrote a few checks to God and, and it didn't make our financial situation better. We were just out more money, Right? We, we've tried to, to treat our spouses as, as God would have us treat our spouses, and it's not making our marriage any better. We've tried to be God-centered parents, and it seems like our, our kids aren't getting any better. We've tried to, to give excellence in our studies at school, and it seems like we just can't seem to make the grade. We, we've done everything we know how to do. We've tried the obedience thing. We've tried to live by God's word, and it doesn't seem to be working for us. You've been there. So why should you keep on? Why should you keep on obeying when it doesn't seem like you're seeing any fruit for your obedience? Two reasons. One, because of what God has done. I mean, think back to the story. Why did Noah get up every day in spite of the mockery, in spite of the persecution, in spite of, of whatever was going on? Why did he do it? Because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There was a day that grace came to Noah and grace changed everything for Noah. And that's why, right? That's why you keep obeying God as well. Because even if you never see the fruit of obedience that you want to see, what you know for certain if you're a follower of Jesus is that something happened in your life. Whenever it was, whether it was last week or 10 years ago, where God came to you by grace and he changed you and he saved you and he gave you life abundant and eternal. He forgave your sins. And because of that, your obedience right? You're not obeying because of something you want to get out of God. You're obeying because what you have already received from God. Are you following me? We obey because we've received the greatest gift ever, the gift of salvation. We obey because of what God has done and also because of what God will do. Noah was certain that that boat was going to be his ultimate salvation. And you're certain too that Jesus Christ is your ultimate salvation that he has saved you from your sins. And you are certain of what will come for you. Even if this life has lots of struggles for you, even if this life has lots of, of hurts for you, you are certain that there is coming a day 
that you will forever be with him. And so you and me, we patiently persist because of what God has done and because of what God will do. But let me show you one more thing and we'll be done. We obey, we obey God with tremendous weight. The weightiness of it. Think about it again. Don't know how long, but for years Noah obeyed. And for years, as he was a herald of righteousness, preaching, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, think about it, rejected. Every time he presented God's plan, he was rejected. Wait. And then not knowing, not knowing exactly when the task will be done, not knowing exactly when the ship will be complete. Just think about the wait. Of obedience. It's not always easy to obey God, is it? Especially when it seems like the world is against you. Especially when you have family members that are calling you a religious fanatic. Especially when you have friends who don't understand that decision you made to leave things behind and start that, that ministry that God called you to start. It's, it's Not easy to obey when it seems like the world is against you, which it is. And let's, for a moment, consider what happens. Because if you think about it, when when it gets hard, when it gets tough, when obeying has some weightiness to it, you you really have have four options. You have the option of fighting, which let's be honest, that's what some of us in this room are doing right now, fighting with God. I, I know what God wants from me, but it, it doesn't make any sense. So I don't know if I can do that, God. God, it's not fair. God, I, I, I just can't do it. You fight back and forth, having these conversations with God. Or you, or you just give up altogether and you flee. I'm done. I tried it. This Christianity thing, it, it just ain't worth it. It's not making my life any easier. I'm done. Or think about this. You, you try to fix it. Some of you have tried to fix God's plan, haven't you? God has told you to do something. You say, okay, God, I I hear you. Let me negotiate with you just a bit, right? I I hear you that you want me to, you know, to to give faithfully. Why don't I cut you a deal? I'll give you a little bit, and and then, you know, if it works out, I'll increase it a little bit later on. Or, Or whatever the case may be. God, I know you want me to share my faith. How about I just start by being nice to people? I'll just start there, God. We'll see how that works out for a while, and then we'll get into the gospel sharing thing. You see what I'm saying? Negotiate. We try to fix God's plan. I don't like exactly what you're saying, but I, I want to try to obey you, so I'll obey you on my terms. Or think about this. You can fight, you can flee, you can fix, or you can fall. Fall. Fall to your face before a holy God. Say, God, it's hard. I'm not going to lie to you, Lord. Obedience is tough. But I know, I know, I know that obedience is always the right choice. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's going to uh, change my life a little bit, even if it costs me this, I know. And so in whatever situation, I'm going to fall before you. I'm going to trust the power of your spirit at work in me. And I'm going to trust and obey. If anyone ever felt the weight of obedience, it was Jesus. He didn't feel the weight of building an ark. He felt the weight of your sin. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his death was imminent, just hours away, he fell. 
He fell to his face before his father. He said, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. Trust and obey. And Jesus, the God-man, the only perfect person to ever live, he went to a cross And you think about Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and this story of a catastrophic flood that wipes out all but one family. The outpouring of the judgment of God on this earth through the flood. Let me just tell you, I don't know if you know this or not, but the story of the flood and the judgment of God poured out in Genesis 6 and Genesis 7 pales in comparison to what happened at the cross. Because on the cross... Every single one of your sins, every single one of my sins was placed on Jesus. And he bore the penalty for every sin you've ever committed. Every lie, every lustful thought, every act of adultery, you name it. On the cross, he bore every bit of it. And the full wrath The punishment of God, the judgment of God at the cross was poured out on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and in that moment when Jesus died for you and for me, he was the fulfillment of Genesis 3, verse 15. He crushed the head of the serpent so the serpent can never take away your life if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then three days later, he rose from the dead victoriously so we can know that he has indeed defeated sin and death for us. You see, under tremendous weight, Jesus trusted and obeyed for you. And now here we are in this room this morning, and maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're right here in these chairs, and you know it. The issue for you is that you've never trusted Jesus with your life. You've never given your life to the one who died for you and rose again for you. And maybe this morning, for the very first time, this is your opportunity to get it right with God. Grace this morning has come for you. Today, grace has come for you. And this morning, as we have a time invitation, if we just walk to one of these crosses, they're in the corner of this room. There'll be someone there who's ready to receive you, ready to pray with you, ready to help you to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, there should be a number that pops up on the screen that you can text. We would love to have a conversation with you today about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, grace has come for you. Give your life to him. Surrender to the one who gave his life for you. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, trust and obey. Maybe you can think about some areas in your life right now where you're refusing to trust God. Some areas where he's calling you to obedience and you're refusing to obey God's voice. This morning, stop. Come before God in repentance and trust and obey. However God is speaking to you now, you respond to him in faith and obedience. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. Thank you, Father, for um, your spirit's voice speaking to us now. For that person in this room who's never given his life or her life to Jesus, I pray that person will come now trusting you as Lord. For those of us who are followers of yours, Father, help us in this moment to trust and obey in those areas in our lives where we've refused to, where we've chosen not to obey you, Father, change our hearts this morning. Change our attitudes and give us that desire to fall before you and trust you and obey you. 
and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you this morning.